I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Revo Yubo, co-founder and chief business officer at Modular Bank. We'll come on to what Modular Bank itself is in a moment, but there is one issue I want to take up with you straight away, Revo, and that's this. Are banks going to lose their customers and purely become the power of finance? We at Modular Bank have a belief that banks, and especially incumbent banks, still have a chance and important role to play in the society. And namely, there are a number of reasons why. The first one is that they hold the relationship with the regulators. And that also means that they act as kind of guarantors of trust. And this is super important. The second uh, important thing is that the banks already have significant uh, customer base, which means that whenever you roll out a new value proposition, new service, then the adoption can be so much more faster. And uh, thirdly, there is also such a degree of knowledge about different instruments out there. And it's not so easy to replicate such kind of a know-how. And this is what we can also see out there, like in the neo-banking space. So that's why if th- things executed like in correct manner, then we still do think that incumbent players have a lot of belief and opportunities out there. Well, they do have the existing customer base. Are they going to be able to keep it though? If the cultural change in their, let's say, uh, at the sea level inside of those banks happen and they understand the need to change, then they will be able to keep them. All right, let's move on and talk about embedded finance. Kui bono, where's the benefit? The benefit relies on the on the both ends, on the consumer end and also on the like industry vertical end. And what do we mean by that? The first thing is that if you look at the consumers, let them be, let's say, businesses out there or let's say any, any, let's say, single individual out there, then everybody's out there on the hunt for the convenience services. For example, you have the aspiration to have a green home. And at the same time, you have, let's say, already active contract with your energy provider or utility company. And then when you want to have solar panels uh, powering your, let's say, uh, house, you do not want to speak with the energy company separately and with the bank separately. You want to be, uh, speak just with your energy company, receive your panels, and maybe just have the additional uh, line item on your monthly bill. Right? So it's all about convenience. And now when you take the perspective of the energy company, then you're looking and on, you are on the hunt for the new revenue streams. So that suddenly when you have some sort of like interest bearing element also as part of your business, then you understand that also the margins in this can be lucrative. So two things, convenience from the consumer perspective and new revenue streams from those like industry verticals offering the embedded banking and embedded finance use cases out there. But that makes the bank invisible to the consumer. Yes. And let's say in those kind of, like say, use cases, the banking becomes invisible. And also we have a belief that in the future, the bank can and will have multiple faces. So that from one angle, it will empower a number of embedded banking and embedded finance use cases. And at the same time, also a bank can have multiple front ends, multiple channels to its customer base. So that even, for example, if you, let's say, take a subset of SME banking, For example, why shouldn't the bank have, for example, freelancer IT employees oriented uh, digital bank? Maybe it has something for the service sector employees and each of them can have its like uh, various uh, value props. 
And also, like if the bank has already, let's say, significantly modern core banking infrastructure behind, all of those different channels and touch points can be like actually catered by the very same core banking infrastructure. We're almost talking about a white label bank to a certain extent. This is banking as a service, is it not? Up to a certain degree, it is. Because we need also to understand that uh, in the past and also like in the majority of the organizations still nowadays, the banking infrastructure has been catering only the internal needs of the bank. But here comes the, let's say, greatest mind shift at all that suddenly need to be able to cater the needs of the others as well. And once, let's say, people at the boards of the banks understand this element, then suddenly also like a new set of opportunities are going to emerge. And this is also going to like yeah, enable and empower also those kind of embedded banking use cases. Well, I mentioned banking as a service. And of course, BAAS, banking as a service, means something specific in terms of financial technology. But banking should always have been a service. What's happening, perhaps, is that the institutions are realizing that they need to be service institutions serving their customers, whether those customers are individuals or corporates. That is absolutely true. Also, the BAS, uh, like the banking as a service, let's say that when, because this is including also the license fronting in multiple cases, this is also going to empower and speed up uh, the adoption of embedded banking use cases. Because like in the number of cases, when somebody out there in the industry wants to have an interest-bearing instrument as part of the like offering, then acquiring the license, having the separate people and responsibilities for the compliance, regulatory things, and so on, it takes time to build up those capacities. And when there is a, a bank coming out with the BAS offering, and uh, such kind of uh, capabilities are already as part of the package. This is also going to make the rollout much more smoother, much faster. Industry companies can test out those ideas. And if those ideas are feasible and scalable, then they can apply on the license on their own. But definitely there is a, let's say, place for a vast type of services out there. And I think this applies, let's say, across the globe. Let those be like uh, emerging markets and developing economies up to also like developed markets and, uh, and so on. We've touched on some of the areas and some of the issues, but can you give me concisely your view of what the future for banks is, what their options are, and what they need to do specifically to stay in business to succeed? This requires, uh, I think, a, a lengthy answer. The future role for banks as, as I said also before, uh, the banks have, let's say, an important role to play in the society. And whatever concerns the aspects of individuals' health or money, everything is sensitive. And that's why I think also the banks have this concept of currency of trust. But trust is never granted. Trust is earned. And this is, let's say, the trust is built like over a long period of time. So that is the kind of a baseline. The second thing is that if the banks want, let's say, want to stay relevant, they need to understand that uh, they need to get away from the silo thinking and start thinking in terms of the aspirations. Because nobody, neither from the business or individual side, uh, wakes up in the morning with the idea in mind that I will do some great banking today. No, you have certain aspirations. You want to have your home, you want to buy your car, maybe you want to grow the, let's say, scholar fund to your kiddos, 
whether you're a SME owner, you want to make sure that there is enough liquidity at the end of month to be able to pay the salaries for your employees and so on. So which, which means that all the services should be like catered around aspirations of every single individual and every business out there. And once this, let's say, this aspect is covered, I think something like unique can emerge. But of course, that means, again, the need for the mind shift change and also the technological change inside of those organizations. Because I think what is uh, super interesting out there is that if you look how much money has been thrown into the fintech companies and financial and banking technology companies out there and how little impact those companies have had on the bottom line of the large incumbent banks, then this is surprisingly small. There are like new, let's say, consumer-oriented fintechs, especially in the money remittance space and so on. Yes, they have their like super nice market share, they are popular out there and so on. But at the same time, the adoption of such kind of new technology inside of large co corporates in the banking space, adoption rate is surprisingly low. And that needs to happen because it's impossible to continue with the same cost base to service the customers. Because this, this cost carries on towards the customers. And this, like on the other hand, also goes into the ways how the banks charge for the fees from their customer base. That quite often the fees are like fixed retainers. That you have a credit card, you need to pay like 10 euros, 10 pounds a month, plus like the interest for this one and so forth. At the same time, like why shouldn't the banks also adopt the kind of a success fee-based type of fee structures? So that, for example, if the aspiration is to grow the wealth of its customers, let's say that we agree certain thresholds that if the like investment banking advisors are able to generate uh, larger returns as agreed, then there is a certain cut also that, the, let's say, bank is charging its customers. But at the same time, everybody has the skin in the game. People have trusted their assets and their uh, financial capabilities in the hands of the bank's employees. And at the same time, uh, let's say, they have also chances for like far greater returns. Let's finish on this note and talk specifically about your operation, Modular Bank. What is it that you're offering to institutions to help them achieve some of the things you've been outlining? Modular Bank is an API-first core banking suit to cater the needs of different retail business and corporate banking use cases. And one of the unique aspects with Modular Bank is the modu modularity, as the name says, which means that this enables the gradual change for the banks. Because uh, honestly looking, you could, let's say, technically do the overwhelming transformation but nobody's uh, capable or even willing to uh, make a political suicide and uh, wave the flag and, and say that let's do so. And we have a lot of belief that success builds on top of success. And this aligns super well also with the gradual change out there. So that uh, you take any, any specific business area in the, uh, inside of the large bank, let it be like transactional banking group, let it be consumer finance, let it be like uh, mortgages and uh, home ownership. You take one of those areas, you make the transformation and modernization happen. And after you have implemented those changes over there, suddenly you understand that you have achieved far more than the modernization of like one area because you have established the connectivity to the like internal treasury and risk systems, connectivity to the payment schemas and so on. 
And once you have this understanding that our own technological teams are capable of executing such transformations, then adding the next line of business and the next one and next one, it becomes so much more easier. And such kind of gradual change is empowered by Modular Bank. Thank you very much. Rivo Uibo, co-founder and chief business officer at Modular Bank.